This is week four in our series in this Lord's Prayer that we are opening up. And this prayer that we are in is short and simple, and it is absolutely packed with meaning, purpose, and substance. And of all the collection, of all the words throughout the history of the world, this collection of words has probably been the most spoken collection of words in history. And yet, there is treasure, diamonds, and gold in this prayer that we just miss over and over as we pray this prayer. And so what we're doing each week is we're taking out a magnifying glass, we're going on a treasure hunt, and we're looking at the lines each line of this prayer, and we're looking in close for the treasure, for the diamonds, and for the gold. And to prime our hearts, I want to read to you a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. And here's what she says. God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. I'm going to say it again just so it gets in. God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. Was that my son back there mocking me, by the way? Was, that, was he repeating me and mocking me? Okay, that's good. That's good. Thank you, Cruz. Thank you. Now, okay, so what does that mean? God will not deliver us from anything that will make us more like Jesus. Well, think of it like this. There, there's a path before you that you are terrified to go on. And you are praying, God, I want nothing to do with that path. Please deliver me from, every, from that path. I don't want to go down it. And God's will is actually for you to go down that path, for you to face the adventure, to go through the trials, and then not to deliver you from the path, but to deliver you from the trials. Well, not even the trials, to deliver you from the evil along the way. And so you see, this is a very different thing. You're going down the trial. You're going down the road, and he's going to deliver you, not from the path, but from the evil that's on the way. And so that's something very different. So I want to read to you the Lord's Prayer, and we're focusing in again on God's will. So Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. All right, so we've got three points today. We're going to look at what God's will is. We're going to look at wrestling with God's will. And then last, we're going to look at trusting God's will. So when we think about what God's will is, one thing that we need to understand is there's just, a, there's just about as many meanings as your will be done as there is for your kingdom come that we saw last week. And there are three wills. When we think about the will of God, there's three ways to understand it. It's the decreative will of God, first, the perceptive will, and third, the permissive will. So when we think about the first one, the decretive will, this is about something that God decrees to happen. Like God has said, this is going to happen. So here's an example, creation. When God said, let there be light, light had no choice but to burst into the darkness. 
God did not have to give light a pep talk. God did not have to negotiate with light. God did not have to worry if light was going to obey him or not. He simply said, let there be light, and it soared across the universe. That's the decretive will. The second is the perceptive will of God. Now, here's what this means. This is something that God has said, this is how you should live. He's talking to us now. The Ten Commandments is a good example of this. Like, okay, should you murder... Well, it's very clear in the Ten Commandments the answer is no. That is the will of God that you do not murder, right? But then there's, there's some parts of God's will that aren't as clear that we should do. And So, for example, should you move away? Should you take a, job, a new job? Should you get married to somebody? These are, these are questions that aren't written down specifically in Scripture. So you need to pray. You need to seek wise counsel. You need to ask a bunch of people around you. Requires some wisdom here to know the answer. And, and, and sometimes people will ask me, well, I've done all those things and I still don't know what to do. And then in taking the lead of a wise pastor I once heard, he said, just make a decision. And when you do, as you start walking the path, it will become clear what the right road is. And maybe you need to go back and pick a different road, but it will become clear. You're testing it out. So that's the second will of God. The third is the permissive will of God. Now, Here, this is when God permits something to happen in our lives that isn't good in our eyes. Um, In fact, it seems pretty evil, in fact. Uh, God allows things to happen that don't feel very good. And maybe they aren't good, but God is allowing it to happen. So my, my son Cruz, when he got this autoimmune disease... Like, we feel like he has, in a way, been, like, his mind has been stolen from us. He's not the same child he once was. So we say, okay, well, what's going on here? Well, God has allowed this. Why? Maybe you struggle with depression, and it's haunting you, and it's ruining your life, you feel, and God has allowed this. Why? You have lost someone that you love. And God has allowed this. Why? And so, so this is the will that makes us want to shake our fist at God. This is the will that makes us want to cry out to God, like, what are you doing? This is the will of God that makes us want to, like, tear our shirts. Like, this is a thing in the Old Testament. Somebody's going through something, and they're, like, so frustrated that they tear their shirt. They tear their clothing. I did this once. I was so frustrated at the permissive will of God that I was wearing this t-shirt and I just like ripped it off of me like Hulk Hogan. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, it might have been a thin t-shirt, but it doesn't matter. I did it. And so this is one of those. Now, okay, this is something we don't want. And then Jesus says, pray this prayer. Your will be done. Your will be done. It's a difficult prayer to, prayer to pray. Now, now, the first one's easy, like, okay, a new creation. Yeah, God, do something new. Your decretive will, do something good in the world. That's great. The second one's a little harder, like, I want to live my life this way, but I have read your scripture says to do this, so I'm going to go do that. So your will be done. This is a little harder. I might need your help to go live the way I should live. But the third one, it's impossible to pray, it seems. Like, how do you do that? And what I want to do today is I want to help you be able to pray this prayer, your will be done, that feels impossible. I mean, it it really does. It's it's like, here's my question for you. 
Have you ever actually authentically prayed your will be done to God? Like really authentically prayed it? Knowing he might take you down a road that you don't want to go. Have you really prayed that prayer? And if you have prayed it, maybe you've prayed it once or twice in your life, but have you really prayed it like every day? And if you have, I just have a question for you. What are you? Because clearly you're not a human being. Because this is a terrifying prayer. And so I want to help you be able to pray it. Because Jesus is saying pray this prayer. He's not saying pray it once a year. He's saying pray this daily. So where is it going to come from? How are we going to be able to do that? And that's what I want to help you do today. And I want to help you do this by telling you two stories. The first story is of God, a garden, a snake, a tree, and a couple named Adam and Eve. And in this garden, there is a snake. Now, the snake is much worse than it sounds. There's likely a play on words because the, there's, a, there's a word that we translate as seraphim, which is a, an angel or the spiritual being. But there's another word for that Hebrew word, and it's also translated as snake, which means there's probably a play on words going on here. And we're, so what we're supposed to imagine is a spiritual being who has fallen. And this spiritual being is sly, cunning, evil, deceptive, persuasive, beautiful, and vile all at the same time. And the snake has found its way into the garden. Now, there's, there's the three wills right there in the garden. The first one is God has created us. He's created Adam and Eve, and he's created this beautiful place called paradise. And there in this garden, Adam and Eve are walking around, and um, they, they don't have, uh, what, is, what is the word again? I'm forgetting the word. It's, um, well, the, gosh, I can't say it because we have the, the little ones in here today. They, have, they don't have fig leaves on. So, um, so Adam's already like, this is awesome. This is paradise. He's pretty excited about what's happening here. And then thank you, for, Cruz, for that laugh. That was funny. You guys are allowed to laugh at things that are funny, by the way. I don't know if you knew this. So, so, so Adam's pretty excited about the way life's going. And so it's paradise. And then God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so Adam is even more excited about the way things are going for him. And, and then God says, so this is the second will of God. He's telling us what to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Be like kings and queens. And then he says, but this is still the second will, but obey me about the tree. Obey me about this tree and don't eat of it. And then the third, the permissive will of God is, there's a snake in the garden and there's this tree that can ruin everything. Why has God put that there? Now, look, we're asking this question, why? We were asking it before, and we're asking it again. And so whenever you begin to ask why when you're reading the Bible, there's a hint there. Maybe if there's a why question in your own life that you haven't figured out, you should follow the story. So let's keep following the story. So we're asking this question, why in the world has God allowed this snake in the garden and this tree that can ruin everything? And you might say, well, it's because God is allowing us to have free will. Well, that still doesn't get God off the hook because the reality is God, at the very least, knew what we would have done, and he still put it there. So what's God doing? How can anything good come out of this? Right? This is how we feel when we're suffering. So, okay, let's ask the question. Well, we know this. God is loving. In fact, he is the very definition of what love is. There's nothing more loving than him. In fact, he's, 
Because he's the definition of love, he must express love to the fullest degree, to the heights of love, to the telos of love. In other words, there's nothing more loving than him. And so he has to fulfill love. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, there is no greater love than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. So the very most loving act, the, most, the fullest expression of love is someone dying for his friends. And so Jesus came to do this very thing. The very reason he came into this world was to come and to die and to give his life. And so here's what that means. Because he has done this, we now are surrounded by a love that had he not done it, we never would have understand the kind of love he had for us. We'd always be wanting more. So because he has given this fullest expression of love and we are the object of that love, we are now raptured up into this love and being raptured up into it now, we are lifted up into a height of joy that we never would have been in had we not sinned. We never would have seen that he died for us had we not sinned. And we never would have sinned had there not been a snake in a tree in the garden. And so what you see now is that God has taken something that looked horrible and made it be the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. This is the kind of thing that makes me cry out the way Paul does. Look at what he says in in Romans 11. He goes, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So there you have a story of God When we say, why, God, how could you have done this? His answer is the cross. Okay, let's let's look up another look at another story, a parallel story. This is another garden and this is called the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is there and he is praying. And to my knowledge, this is the only place in all of the Bible where Jesus prays for the will of God to be done. It's not that he hasn't prayed that prayer. It's just it's the only place we see it in the Bible, at least to my knowledge. So, okay. This should tell us, then, a lot about the will of God. So let's follow it. So we go into the garden. We're spying in on Jesus. And we see him say, your will be done. And we get a close look up at his face. And what we find is that he's sweating blood. Now, this is something that happens. If you're under enough stress, you will begin to sweat blood. It's called hematidrosis. And so there's a connection here. God, Jesus prays, your will be done, and then he starts sweating blood because he's under that much stress. Your will be done, you sweat blood. This is what the will of God is. And this is what, in a way, this is what it's like praying this prayer. Now, what has him under so much stress? The late, great Jonathan Edwards said, he's getting a foretaste of the cross. He's getting a picture of it. A vision of it. It's becoming very real to him. Now, he's seeing the suffering he's about to endure. If you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you would have seen an amazing display of the physical suffering that Jesus endures for us. But I want you to know something. The physical suffering he endures is like a paper cut. 
compared to the spiritual suffering he endures. Because the plan is that he would come and he'd take all the sins of all of humanity and he'd wear them upon the cross. In fact, he would wear so much of the sins, the sins of all the world, that the only way to describe him is to say something like this, like Paul says, he who knew no sin became sin. Like you look at him and the only way to describe him in that moment is he is not just wearing sin, but he's so covered with all the sins of the world that we're just going to call him sin. And as he wears the sin of all of humanity, the wrath of the father is then executed. It's poured down upon his son and he's there on the cross suffering under the spiritual weight of the wrath of God that's coming down upon him in that moment. And then in that moment, he cries out, why? There's the word again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why would he ask why if he already knows what the plan is and he discussed the plan with the Father before the creation of the world? Why is he asking why? And the answer is because he is in hell in that moment. In the moment of him not knowing what's going, he doesn't know the future anymore. It's like everything's, all hope has been stripped from him. He has to feel the weight of hell. And in hell, there is no hope at all. All hope is lost. So he feels all of that on the cross, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is abandoned so that we might never be forsaken so that we aren't. He feels like there's no purpose in it. And he has to feel that because he's feeling the weight of hell so that when we suffer, we can know that there is a purpose so that we, when we suffer, we know that there is hope. You see, he took everything that was coming to us and he made it his own so that now when we suffer, we suffer with hope. So now when we suffer, we know that there's a purpose behind it. We know that God will not waste any bit of suffering that we go through. But they will be our suffering, like we're crying these tears and the tears fall upon the earth. And it's the place where Christ has died and been buried and spring rises up out of it. That's the promise that he has made because Christ has suffered on our behalf. He becomes hopeless so that we have hope. And that's something good to hold on to. But I'm going to tell you this still, when you're wrestling with God's will, it will still feel like a wrestling match no matter what. So here's our next point, wrestling with the will of God. The full garden prayer that Jesus prays goes like this. Let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. Let the cup pass, but your will be done. In other words, I don't want to drink the cup of suffering. I don't want it, Father, but let your will be done. He says everything he wants. He says everything he doesn't want, but he always ends the prayer with your will be done. Now, I would like to make this argument that this is the bravest moment of Christ. And you say, well, it can't be braver than the cross. Well, I think it can. Because you, as soon as Jesus is arrested, it's happening. Whatever plays out is going to play out. He can't stop it. He doesn't have a choice anymore in a way. Like he does, but he doesn't. Like the, the story is unfolding now and he's in it. So he's stuck to endure the cross. But before he's arrested in this garden, the disciples are sleeping. The soldiers aren't there yet to take him away. 
and he is alone in the dark. And all he's got to do is slip off, run off to Egypt, start a business, help some people out, live his life, live all of his days all the way out to the end and bring some good into the world doing it that way. Live a nice, safe, comfortable life. But he prayed, your will be done. He was at the crossroads. He said, your will be done. He sweat blood. And then he stayed. He didn't leave us. Now, I wonder what would happen to us if he didn't pray that prayer. And, well, we know the answer. We'd be doomed. But I wonder what would happen to people in your life if you don't pray this prayer. I wonder if they might be doomed in a way. I wonder if God's will has a road for you, and it's a hard road, and it's a difficult road, but it's going to bring some good into this world. And I wonder if you don't pray that prayer, well, people will be affected by that in a bad way. I wonder if there will be loss and heartbreak that could have been saved if you just said, let your will be done. I'm ready, God. I know this is going to be hard, but I'm ready to endure it for you and for the people that you put in my life. I'm ready to do this. Maybe there's something heroic, Christ-like for you to do on that path. And, you know, love requires sacrifice. The pain of the path of love Like, it's there. You're going to experience pain along the way. Love requires sacrifice. Are you brave enough to endure it is the question. And and so let me talk to you husbands for a moment here. In Ephesians, it says, love your wives like Christ loved the church, who gave, gave his life up for her. And so husbands, you might say, well, why has it got to be us? You know, like, Why do we have to be the first one to make the sacrifice? I don't know. Maybe it's because Eve took the fruit first. And by that happening, God has said, I want you to reverse all of this. Adam, I'm calling you to do something here. Maybe it's that. We don't really know the answer. But what we do know is that by asking the question, why does it have to be us first? What we're really saying is, can you let this cup pass for me? And so what we need to pray is, but let your will be done. And there, there is a reality that you, husbands, you're not really ready to lead until you're ready to love like this. And your character is not all the way ready to be like the husband, the man that God has called you to be until you're ready to love like this. So wives and children... What, what should you do? You should pray for your husband. You should pray for your father because he's in the garden. And he's saying, God, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. Like there's a war happening there in the garden of his soul. Do you pray for him? And like we're going to mess up a whole bunch. I promise you that. But when, when like we get it right, like, well done. Like, a pat on the back. Man, it's going to go a long way. And then husbands, when your wives are loving you sacrificially, like Christ loved the church, you say, thank you so much. Like, this, is, this means everything. Thank you. And then when we think about, last week we talked about the kingdom of God coming. 
And when heaven comes down to earth, if heaven's going to come down to earth in this age right now, it's going to require a cost on our part. Christ has paid the cost, but it's going to require a cost on our part to bring the good of heaven down into this earth. And for that to happen, to bring the kingdom of God, well, th- th- this is the road that God has called us down. The will of God is to be people who seek to bring the kingdom of God. And so it could feel a few things. Here, here's how it could feel. You get together with your family and you say something like this. You know, we've been giving to bring the kingdom of God. But there's this thing called tithing that the church keeps talking about. And, well, you know, I don't know. Do we need to take this whole Christian thing seriously? I, I, don't, I don't know. God, what do we do? I, I don't really know. Okay, so you pray together as a family and you say, God, let this cup pass from us, but your will be done. Or your home. Your home is a great place to bring heaven down to earth. And so you open it up to your, you open up your home because maybe your family right now is a place of spiritual health and emotional health. And so you invite people in your home. And as you invite them in, you're creating a little bit of glimmer of heaven right here on the earth. And so that's a ministry. That's good that you can bring people into to bring heaven to earth. Or maybe your house is an absolute disaster, but you're a Christian and you know grace. And so you open up your doors and you say, even people like us are in. And people need to see that because the, the beauty of grace is lost today. We need to help people rediscover this. And you're like, well, God, you know, I'm a really big introvert. And I don't even like people very much. Well, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. Or, well, let me try this one out and see. This might be a bad idea, but let me just see what happens. Um, Wives, your husband keeps wanting to practice this, this, this calling um, upon humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And um, he, he's, he wants to practice it. He's not ready for, for you know, kids yet or, or another one, but he wants to practice. And so you say, God, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. <laughs> You're welcome, husbands. <laughs> or you find out you're pregnant and you don't want to be. God, let this cup pass for me, but your will be done. And then things that are right up in your face. My child is sick. God, let this cup pass for me, but your will be done. Or you're sick. God, let this cup pass for me, but your will be done. Or you're on your deathbed. God, let this cup pass for me, but your will be done. Like there is a real wrestling here. And you need to tell him everything that you want, because that's what Jesus did. Let this cup pass from me. And you tell him everything that you don't want, because that's what Jesus did. Let this cup pass from me. But in the end, you finish your prayer saying, your will be done. Because it's an exercise of trust. And, and, and when you do it, you're going to walk down the road, and you're going to be facing this trials, these trials, and you're going to say, God, how could anything good come out of this? A test of your trust. This is our third point. We're back to the why question. Why should you trust God? How can you trust God after all that you've been through is the big question. Well, we've just seen that the snake, we've just seen that the tree 
has somehow led to the greatest expression of love that we wouldn't have known had there not been a snake and had there not been a tree. And then we have seen the cross, and we've looked at it, we've said, this looks like the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. God is dead hanging on a cross. How could anything good come out of that? Three days later, we get our answer. What looks to be the worst thing that has ever happened turns out to be the best thing that has ever happened. And this is us learning to be people who say the things that Paul says later on when he says the the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. And if you reverse that, what it means is when you stand in glory, when you stand in eternity, you're going to look back and you're going to say everything that I endured was worth it because of what I now live in. It's a step into trusting God. And you're never going to pray this prayer. You're never going to pray it unless you believe it's true. Unless you look at the fall and you say, this is the beginning of a story of great joy that would not have known the heights of joy had there not been a fall of humanity. This is look at every single one of your sins and to say, without my sin, I would not know the love that I know from God. To see that he absolutely redeems everything because that's what he does. That's who he is. That's the business that he's in. Everything. So if you're going to trust God and be brave, you've got to look at the story and know it in its full. Know it in its entirety. And you've got to see it in the middle of your suffering. And you've got to be able to look at it. And you've got to go even back. And you've got to go to Adam. You say Adam, who was the representative of humanity. The word Adam means humanity. And God said to him, obey me about this tree and you'll live. And then he said to Jesus, obey me about this tree and you will die. The cross is called a tree. Obey me about this tree and you will die so that they might live. And then we, like the disciples, in a way we're sleeping through all that Jesus has done. Like, he's in agony in this garden, and the disciples are sleeping. They're at peace. And this is a picture of what it's like for us, because, when, because Christ went to the cross, because he experiences that agony, we get peace, and we can sleep. And we can be at peace. Like, this is kind of a reverse of Jesus on the boat, because when he's on the boat, he's sleeping, and there's a storm all around. And the disciples are awake, and they're freaking out. They're anxious. And they wake Jesus up. And they wake him up. And it's like then, a little bit later, they wake him up into the garden. And then they go to sleep. So that they can be at peace while he is at war with sin and death. And that is what we get. Because our Savior has led the way. But there's another sense where it's time to wake up. To follow after him to take up your own cross and follow him onto the adventure that will have trials ahead. But he will deliver you from the danger. He will deliver you from the evil, but he will not deliver you from that path because the path is meant for you to contribute and bring some good into this world. You've been saved to help save. You've been blessed to be a blessing. You've been, arrest you've been rescued to be a rescuer. And that's his will for your life. And he'll push you out on that path. 
and you won't want to go and you'll, you'll push against him and he'll just keep pushing you a little bit harder until you get out there. And you know the path is going to absolutely transform you. You're terrified of it. But when you know that it will transform you, when you know that joy is on the other side of the path, when you know that in the midst of the trials you're on the cross but three days later is the resurrection, then you can pray this prayer, your will be done. And you can pray it with complete fear like Christ did in the garden. You can, you can pray it sweating blood, but you can still pray it because you know the end of the story. You have hope, and that hope will not fail you. So we pray your will be done. All right, let's pray together. God, I will confess our sins that we lack the courage to go down this road. And we don't want to go down this road in defiance or anger against you, like, fine, I'll take the road. But we want to take the road knowing that it's good. It's a hard road to take, but we know it's good. And we know good will come out of it. So show us that when you were at your crossroads, Jesus, you chose us and stayed. Help us to take the same road for each other and for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at the Grove Church Official. And check out our website, thegrovechurch.com dot co